the Soil and Roots podcast, digging beneath the surface to uncover those hidden ideas that form us, the church, and the culture. I'm Brian Fisher, and this is the Greenhouse episode for 64. We're continuing to talk about the kingdom, but this time I'm joined not only by the incomparable Kyle Moody, hey. we're also rejoined by the incomparable Dr. Tim Boswell. Yes. Thank Welcome you for Tim. having me yes. back. Thank you so much. Good to be back. We're trying something here. We're trying to see if three of us can make any sense in a greenhouse. It's going to work. Really? I'm, I'm skeptical. You're skeptical? <laughs> Well, the English, the English professor is skeptical. <laughs> now we're in trouble. All right. Well, it's great to have you. Tim joined us, oh, I don't know, a month or two ago on another episode. And again, we are modeling what we're hoping you're doing as you listen to or read the podcast, which is taking the ideas, the concepts, the ruminations, and uh, beating them up. Kyle mm-hmm. doesn't like that phrase, but discussing them, debating them, having great dialogue in your family. Uh, with your friends, or even in a greenhouse, hopefully. So we are attempting to model that for you. So 64 was, uh, you know, pretty rich. So we, we should start with Tim, though, because he's our guest. Sure. So Tim. Well, thank you. Uh, where would you like to start our greenhouse discussion? So I feel that Kyle is yeah. a very positive person, mm-hmm. and he's usually very agreeable. But Brian, I have to tell you, I feel like you got something very, very wrong in the last episode, and uh, I'm okay with that. on behalf of our listeners, I just have to address it. Camping is awesome. Oh my gosh! Roughing it is fantastic. It is good for the soul. I just I don't see how we can be a ministry and a podcast that advocates going on an adventurous journey and engaging with the beauty of God's creation, His second book, and not endorse the idea of spending time in the great outdoors. I just don't. Uh, can I jump in? Before you, before you defend yourself. Uh, uh, okay. Would it matter? Yes. Mm. Uh, camping, again, th- here's the deal. I think you either really love it or you're, it's not your jam. It is not my jam either. I, I'm not a fan of camping. And my idea of camp, and I've done it. We've done it in a tent with all of our kids on a blow-up mattress out in the woods. And it was not, it was not, none of us liked it. None of it, it was not fun. So, but we have gone to where you have like a little mini cat, like a little tiny house and you have like a toilet and you have a sink, but it's real small. I mean, it's nothing crazy, but that it, sure. I'll do that all day, but I'm not, I'm don't, I'm not going to put up a tent and go into the, I'm not going to do it. I'm actually going to read you a quote from one of our nation's great authors, oh, Nobel wow. prize winning awesome. author, <laughs> John Steinbeck, who once said, mm. now we face the danger, which in the past has been most destructive to the human. Success, plenty, comfort, and ever-increasing leisure. No dynamic people has ever survived these dangers. I respectfully disagree with Mr. Steinberg. So that's basically saying we need to suffer in order to appreciate... Well, did, did he go in the? Did he go out and live in the woods in a tent? Was that what Steinbeck's saying? Did he reject all things comfortable, like air conditioning and running water and microwave ovens? I think that was actually Thoreau. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I like about writers. They quote things that they don't actually believe. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note... Camping is part of the kingdom. And I guess since we all have very different views of what camping is, we all have very different views about the kingdom. I'm going to just assume that in the new heaven and new earth, camping is really fun and is not full of horrible outdoor experiences and bizarre smells and you know sleeping on roots perhaps you're not going to be expected to camp like that I in the not. new 
earth. Yeah. I'd be happy with a beach house. I think that'd yeah. be much better. Okay. So speaking of that, let's talk about, since we do have very different views, I think a lot of people have a different idea of what the kingdom is. When you mentioned the kingdom in the podcast, I immediately had an image that hmm. came into my mind. What, what image? So I, so I'm curious as to what, I'm not going to go first. The, I'm curious as How to what of you. y'all's interpretation of that is. So when you hear the kingdom, this is a two-part question. When you hear the kingdom, what do you think of? And has that image changed from when you first became a believer, whenever that was, as a kid or a young adult, whenever it was, to now, after you've been you know, discipling after Jesus and apprenticing with him, it, has it changed? All right, Doc, you go first. You're the guest. So I would say that when I was young... I essentially equated the kingdom with the church. That mm. was the way it was typically. So, what discussed. did you see in your mind? I didn't. It was nebulous. I just really? thought of it as the body of Christ, the church mm. universal. Okay. And if, as the kingdom was expanding, that meant that God's people were expanding. That evangelism as efforts were going forth. Mm. That more people around the world were joining the body of Christ. And wait, that, I'm sorry. How old were you when you were thinking all of this? <laughs> 18 months or so, okay. maybe two. because you were <laughs> two and well a half. advanced what I was thinking. <laughs> Good grief. No, I just, I just mean I didn't think about the kingdom very much mm. because I thought it was essentially synonymous with the body of Christ um, or at least the institutional church, if not that. Mm. And so I didn't really picture much of anything. It was just, it was us. It was people going to church and listening to sermons and sending money to missionaries so they could go to Africa and far-flung places. But as we have engaged with this through this journey, and as I've hopefully grown and matured a bit, I, I think it's more nuanced now, and I have kind of deconstructed that idea of the kingdom alongside of you guys and everybody going on this Soil and Roots journey with us. And now, when I think of it, it's much more active. I really resonated with what you said an episode or two ago, Kyle, where you talked about seeing God's reign as being not a noun, but a verb, Mm. um, in the sense that you can think of a reign as being a king reigns from this year to this year, and we're talking about the state of time that he's in that office, or you can talk about how a king reigns um, Mm. in the sense of they are reigning, they have reigned, they will reign. Gotcha. And so that, so I'm more likely now to picture battlefields and Aslan and Narnia and to, mm. to picture the great return of Christ and the work that he's doing across the earth, even now, and to think of slaves being set free and chains broken and Christ going into that tomb and coming out. And so the kingdom is expanding to me in all the images that come to mind when I think of that, so that instead of being kind of this nebulous thing that's either just kind of a synonym for the church, mm-hmm. uh, it's now going in all these different directions and it's harder to pin down, but it's exciting because I feel like I'm starting to glimpse all of these different facets of a multifaceted jewel that you can look at in a thousand different ways and it'll throw off a thousand different points of light. Wow. That's amazing. I'm not going after that. You're not? No. I will. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Mine's super easy. Uh, when I was a kid, I saw a big white castle. That's what I thought. That's cool. When I thought of the kingdom of heaven, it was just a big white castle with the yellow brick road, the golden streets leading up to it. That's what I thought. Now, it's more like a heaven image. 
But that's what I thought when you say the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's what, what I'm I thought. You, you, I mean, it was afterlife for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In a, ter- a future in mm-hmm. reality. My yeah. future home. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Now I see the earth. Like the visual I see is like a perfect earth. And by perfect, I mean ridiculous beauty and amazing skies and mountains and all kinds of stuff like that. But it's it's the earth just dialed up to 11. That's, that's, that's the visual that I see. It's still an afterlife image though. So you don't you don't see it as a present reality. You see it as a as the future state. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, because I guess you're so. saying it's just different location. One is heavenly. Well, one is heaven on earth. But they're both down the road somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess. But now it's more of I see what we're doing here now. Like the people that are alive and have been and will be in front of us, working towards that. Like bringing that reality to us but yeah i guess it is a future projection yeah so feel free now mine was not nearly as eloquent and as intellectual yeah after years i feel like yeah go for it yeah see this is what i do this is what i do go ahead uh i don't think i put any conscious thought into it for most of my life i i I think the term when i heard it was i didn't hear it that often frankly in in most of my Christian or religious experiences. Mm -hmm. And so if I did hear it, it was like, Oh, you know, that kingdom come, that probably means heaven. Uh, you know, the kingdom is the church. I probably would have affiliated with, you know, it's the spiritual body of believers across the earth. Uh, but you know, obviously in the last six, seven, eight years, as I've dove into the topic, uh, you know, my, my image, it's interesting question. My imagery is probably, God's reign both now and how that's going to look down the road. So yeah, I, I see it much more as a present reality with the expectation of the future consummation. Yeah. Mm. So it's not necessarily a certain kind of picture. It's more of an idea. Um, yeah, it's more of a reality. But I'm, I'm, I, I, think, I, I, I think more in terms of themes and patterns than... Mm. I mean, you're far more artistic that way. I mean, I'm... I'm not surprised by your image. You know, you're a movie guy and mm-hmm. TV show. I'm more of concepts and right. themes than I am uh, visual images. Yeah. So mm, it's interesting how all three of yeah. us have had some pretty, oh, those are pretty remarkable. Yours is interesting because you don't really translate into a present reality where Tim and I are both sort of coming to grips with the already, but not yet. And how does that, how does that play out? It is fascinating that you still have a futuristic perspective without the present reality where Tim and I have mm. sort of uh, approached it from a, it is existing now, no. but not mm. in its final form. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. And Do you I agree think... the kingdom exists now? Yeah. But you just don't, it's not your visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my visual is something. You're sort of a futurist sort of guy, though. I mean, you're a visionary person. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll accept that. I, I mean that in the best sense of the word. You know, I know. I, I know. It I'm surprises not, you that I, know, I mean it in the best I, sense of the word. I'm initially bristling because I'm like, well, where's the, you know, chop to the news? Oh, Brian just called you visionary. That's, I think, the I, nicest thing I've ever heard him say on right? the podcast team. Yeah. Let's, it's a good thing it's recorded because yeah. now we can We should I stop the episode now yeah. while you're ahead. It's going to end up on the <laughs> editing room floor anyway. <laughs> Probably so. Yep. Nobody well, as you, it. as you have, re- the transition is what's interesting to me. So, what have been the catalysts to where, Tim, in your case, you went from the kingdom is the church to the kingdom is the, you know, the already but not yet re- reign of God? Like, that's a pretty big switch. What what were the catalysts for that in your life? This podcast is one of the major oh. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that we talk repeatedly how we 
are far more than brains on sticks and yeah. how the intellectual journey that many take is not sufficient to move things from the head to the heart. But at the same time, in my case, I'm trained kind of to approach many things from an academic intellectual stance. Sure. And so oftentimes new information is enough to make me really change my view on something. Um, and it might take time to seep into my heart and change how I act or see myself. And I think that's where the real challenge lies. But as far as just altering this perspective on the kingdom, um, hearing you teach about it and starting to read some things and books that you've recommended and approaching it from that angle and really diving into the Bible and looking at where it talks about the kingdom and really thinking about what it says and how that might influence my viewpoint on it um, has been enough to to change how I see it. So I think that's, now, as I say, having that seep into my life such that I see it as a present reality that I am an active participant of, and the fruits of that are going to show in changes to my life choices and the way I treat my family, the way I look at Christ, the way I see my discipleship journey with him. That's, of course, where the heart gets intimately yeah. involved. Yeah. How about you? It, it came down to me just exploring and me being open to what Jesus is really revealing to me and around me. And yeah, I mean, I, honestly, it was the when we first started the the group, the Soil and Roots group, mm-hmm. um, sitting around before. That's you so know, interesting. Yeah. So I, and you're, I mean, we're, we're all 40 plus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of us more than that. Oh, yeah. Well. But we, and most of us have grown up in church, mm-hmm. right? We all grew up in a church setting, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. So it took us all to get into our early to mid forties until this sort of, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. See, that's, well, that's the thing is the that forgotten I think, kingdom. Do and you buy, do you buy the, so the argument that I'm, I'm trying to make is uh, that if we're going to grow to become more like Jesus, we normally associate that with his, his, the, the fruits of the spirit, his characteristics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. learning to love like he loves. I have not seen it, heard it, portrayed as we also need to understand his mission. I think it's because most people assume his mission is to save individual souls, mm-hmm. and it sort of stops there. Mm-hmm. So my concern is that even in this discipleship journey, we might miss a really big thing if we're not clear about what the kingdom is since it's what he told us to seek first. Do you guys buy that? Or, or do you say, you know what, as long as I kind of lo- learn to love better, uh, that's that's enough for my spiritual journey. I, no, I absolutely agree that we need to have a better understanding of what that is and just open our minds to it because through that, God can reveal his immense love for us. And I sure. think yeah, it, it wakens things in us that we weren't aware of before, and it is a, is a, for me, it's a visual representation of his love. And by understanding the kingdom and the grandiose scope of that, it, it gives me more of a way to identify with the grandiose scope of God. It, it, you feel comfortable sort of embracing the kingdom as the overarching mission, mm-hmm. vision, what mm-hmm. we're to seek first, because through that, it creates a bigger picture of God's love. Well, and it's so much bigger than the than the picture I had before. I mean, and I'm not just talking about the white building. I'm talking about just my idea of what Jesus's whole point in coming to the earth was, and how what that even means. What was it before? Personal salvation. Yeah, okay. that's all I really yeah. thought about. It was just when yeah. he came to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. Yeah, which is which true. is true, but right. it's so much. There's so much more. 
Did you uh, do you buy the argument? I do, and okay. I, I think it potentially changes our entire approach to our mission. Um, not only Christ's mission as we understand it, but what our purpose is here on Earth. Mm. I'll use a I'll use a military metaphor. Okay. So you know we're talking about missions. Some kinds of missions might be a rescue where we have people who are behind enemy lines. And the point is to go in, get them out. Maybe there's a limited period of time before everything blows up. And so you've got to rescue as many of your comrades in arms as you can, as many of your people, and get them out of that dangerous place that is going down and return them to safety. In many ways, that's how the Christian mission is approached if we think it's strictly or even primarily about evangelism and rescuing as many people as we possibly can Mm. from a sinking ship Mm. before time runs out. Mm. There are other missions where the point of the advancing army or the invading forces is to actually reclaim territory. We're not just going there to rescue individuals, but to actually take back a portion of land that was lost to the other side and to reconquer it, reclaim it, restore it to its previous function and identity uh, under the power that you are supporting. Hmm. And that's a very different mission from going behind enemy lines and Mm -hmm. rescuing as many as you can. Do you you have a sense of where most people fit on that today? Oh, I think unequivocally that the vast majority see it as a rescue mission. Hmm. Yeah, so we've been playing around with different definitions of the kingdom because it isn't—it is complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's simple and complex at the same time. I mean, I, I've argued that it baffles me that the kingdom is not Christianity 101. I mean, three yeah. of us are sitting here saying that we didn't really become aware of the importance and the primacy of it in Scripture until our mid 40s, mm-hmm. uh, early to mid 40s, and we've been, you know, in the in the Christian ethos, the environment for our entire lives. Mm-hmm. So. We have Dr. Treat's definition, God's reign through God's people over God's place. Mm-hmm. We have Brian's not particularly well-liked definition, the unstoppable <laughs> reconciliation of all things through the transformation of dark ideas to light. And then you had you gave some obscure definition about okay. the world destruction, no, okay. which I didn't like at all. And Again, then all right. we introduced <laughs> We're not even gonna go a couple others uh, last week from uh, George Ladd and a couple other folks. So we're still kind of exploring what the kingdom is. A lot of people think the kingdom is the church. That I think it's really hard to make that argument biblically. And a lot of people do not agree or are not even aware of that there is a, a cosmic component to this. God's reign over God's place. God's place being, you know, the entire universe. So yeah. let's let's play with the definition thing. You know, Tim, you've listened to it. You like Treat's definition, Brian's definition, Kyle's lame definition, Lad's definition. Okay. Where, where are you with that that discussion? So, I do not have my own definition. Oh, he's afraid to put one into the I, circle. I, I wonder Terrified. why. Yeah, this is not a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> it is with me. I'm just letting you know it's safe with me. So, okay, if you want to you. You say it, you'll be thank you. You'll be okay. Brian will pick me apart. Yep. Uh, no, but I guess I did want to at least clarify uh, 
some discussion around uh, George, wasn't it George Ladd's, George Ladd's yeah. um, definition, which seemed to me in the way that you were discussing it in the podcast episode to equate the kingdom to God's sovereignty mm-hmm. or equate the kingdom to God's power. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be suggesting that if we are making this equation, then when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, what we're praying for is for an increase of God's power in the world and an increase of God's sovereignty. And my concern with that is that because God is omnipotent and his sovereignty extends over the universe already, over all things, it's not possible for us to pray for or try to bring an increase to that power or sovereignty because it already exists at its maximum maximum level. And I think that is kind of a misapplication, perhaps, of Lad's definition or of your understanding of it. But I wanted to at least bring that up in case some people were listening and thinking, wait, does this mean that we're suggesting that God is not all-powerful, that there are some places that God is not sovereign over yet, and that we need to pray for his power and sovereignty to come to earth because right now there are places or people that are not under that power. We need God's power to grow, and I don't think that's necessarily how you or Lad are viewing it. Can you speak to that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Yes, and I apologize if if that discussion went in the wrong, you know, in an incorrect uh, direction. I, I so when we pray the Lord's... I wasn't apologizing to you. I'm, just, I'm still accepting <laughs> I was it. apologizing to the audience. Oh, I'll take it. Um, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that would suggest that the kingdom is not yet fully here and that God's will is not yet done. Why would we pray for something that already existed? I don't think Lad was referring to a lack of God's sovereignty or a lack of God's power, but it's probably fairly obvious that he gave extraordinary freedom and license to human beings to either choose to surrender to God's will and plan or to make our own. And unfortunately, we tend to make our own. So... I didn't take Lad's definition of questioning God's sovereignty over speck of, over every speck of the universe or his uh, omnipotence. I think what he's reflecting is what the what the Lord's Prayer is reflecting, which is at least on Earth as we know it, uh, the kingdom is not yet fully here because we have this war between the two kingdoms, and God's will. And there's there's different uh, versions or stratus, I guess, to God's will, but but his will is not fully uh, present, not fully manifested in the way it will be because obviously he's allowed us to exercise our own will and we, we exercise our own will in ways that are harmful to ourselves and others. So I didn't take it as a question about God's sovereignty. I think he's he's referring to the fact that the kingdom is already but not fully here and that God's will... Um, is not fully accomplished yet, and we should be praying for both those things. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think that shift discussing will versus sovereignty is an important one to make, because you can be sovereign over a people, and they not acknowledge or accept your Your kingship, right? Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is going in a different direction, but it makes me think of... uh, Monty Python and the quest for the Holy Grail. You're going to enjoy this. So at one point, uh, King Arthur is traveling over the length and breadth of the land, right? And he's seeking out 
the noblest, most valiant knights to join him at the round table in Camelot. Right. But what he frequently finds when he talks to people is they have no clue who he is, mm. even though he's their king. So their conversation conversation might go um, something like this. I haven't seen in a while. I'm, I'm going to mangle this. He would say, I am Arthur, king of the Britons. King of the who? The Britons. What are the Britons? Well, I'm a Briton, and, and you're a Briton. We are all Britons, and I am your king. I never voted for you. <laughs> so we have this king who's king over all of Great Britain, and uh, his people have no idea who he is. So I think that's a lot of us humans, that here we are under the power and sovereignty of our almighty God, who is king over us, and he is king over us, whether we acknowledge him as king or not, whether we even have any idea who he is. It's striking to me Do- that you somehow wove Monty Python and the Holy Grail correctly into this discussion about mm-hmm. the kingdom. Um, so it's interesting that you mentioned that. Do you think? Do you guys think that there are people that think God's sovereignty doesn't touch certain areas of the world? Christians or people that don't hold to either one. Well, Do you I think, think there's some Christians that believe, well, how else are, I mean, if, if all these horrible things are happening, uh, you know, pick up wherever you want to pick. Sure. Do they think, do they genuinely think that yeah. God's just not sovereign there? Of course. I mean, deism, but, there's a lot, I mean, there's lots of forms of, they, they wouldn't be holding to Orthodox Christianity, but they would claim to be a Christian or claim to know mm-hmm. God. So, you know, a deist basically believes that God wound up the wound the world up like a clock and then took off and it'll come back at some point. Right. That's uh you know, that's generally not an indication of recognizing God's sovereignty. There's the whole argument. What was the book? Oh, why bad things happen to good people that God is desires evil not to occur, but is powerless to stop it. So yeah, no, I think what? that's pretty, pretty, I'm not yeah. from, they actually said that in the book. Yeah. The point of the, uh, the point, as I recall, the point of the book, it was a, was it a Jewish rabbi? I think that wrote the book trying to answer the question, why does evil exist? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I believe he concluded that it wasn't that God wasn't loving or didn't want it to happen, is that he was incapable of stopping it from wow. happening. Wow. Well, yeah, so no, I think, like that's, that. I, think it's, I think that's probably pretty common. I, th- I think some people use that argument as a way to reconcile themselves in the face of extreme horror and yeah. evil sure. and darkness. Sure. Yeah. Because if they look at it and they cannot come to grips with any kind of answer to the question, why would God allow this to happen, then their only way to hold on to their image of God as a loving father is to say, well, he must not have been able to stop it. Mm. So I can't, I can't blame him. So he, he must not be in control of this. But that is a way of questioning his sovereignty if he's not powerful yeah. over everything. Right. Enough. Yeah. In, in our world, what we're trying to reframe, I guess and help ourselves and our listeners and readers think through, debate, uh, dialogue about is if we look at the kingdom as a present reality, the already but not yet, what does it actually mean in terms of how we live our Christian lives, to your Mm. earlier point? Mm. And if we believe it's only the church, or in your case, if we believe it only exists at some point in the future, that has a very dramatic impact on what we do now. Very dramatic impact. And it's not. I don't think it's just sort of the the idea that the world must fall apart prior to the final iteration of the kingdom. It's probably not the right way to say it. The end of this age and the consummation of the kingdom. Um, I think it, it also has to do with not understanding the biblical narrative. 
you know, mm-hmm. we I we touched on this in the last episode, mm-hmm. which is if we took just the first part of Genesis and ter- for just the last part of Revelation, that's a very different story than at least what I was uh, thought it was. And I'm not sure how many modern Christians look at the bookends of the Bible as as the beginning and the end of a narrative and tie those things together. Because when you do that, you realize it is a it's a much broader story than my personal journey with Jesus. It's a cosmic story. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think that a lot of people have no idea about this the scope and breadth of this idea of the kingdom. I didn't. I mean, I, I'm still uh, wrapping my head around all of it. And when you did that in the podcast, when you did the parallels between yeah. Genesis and Revelation, I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And it, and I mean, it just opens up so many possibilities for things and just being able to dive into that. But I think that most people, I mean, I, in my church experience, I never heard that. I never, they never drew parallels between what happened in Genesis and Revelation. It was just, you know, learning the books of the Bible and then, you know, Genesis is the beginning, Revelation is the end, and all, all the horrible stuff happens. <laughs> that was, I mean, that was pretty much how you, That's how I would sum it up. That's your interpretation of the middle pieces of the Bible. Yeah, all the much. horrible stuff. Yeah, at the end, yeah. Revelation was scary, man. It was, I was oh, terrified. I thought you were just like spent your life in Ecclesiastes or something. Oh, no, no. I'm just talking about Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's striking to me that, I don't know. Maybe maybe we lack. You know, I was thinking back to like my Sunday school days. Like when I'm a kid, when I was in Sunday school, I was taught the amazing stories: Daniel in the lion's den, mm-hmm. David and Goliath, yeah. Jonah and the whale, birth of Jesus. You know, you have the little picture books and you, the flannel graph. The flannel graph. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, half Showing of our audience has there. no idea what that means. <laughs> and and I don't recall. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, and so through that, I was sort of formed in thinking that the Bible was a collection of stories, but mm. I didn't realize that they were related and deeply interconnected and unified in what they were communicating. And I don't have any recollection of somebody tying the Genesis narrative to the Revelation, end of Revelation narrative. Like nobody ever shared the bookends and said, here's how the whole thing started. Here's how the whole thing wraps up. And so we need to we need to understand the rest of it in the context of the beginning and the end. Now, was that just me or did you guys have that exploration or that explanation of the story of the Bible in your Christian education? I mean, I didn't, I just, yeah, I had no idea about that. Nobody, it was, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say it's a collection of stories. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up in the church, you know, heard all of the same stories. I, it was all, yeah. Looking back on it, it just felt very, separate like all the things nothing was really tied in together sure i mean it was just like oh daniel and the lions and jonah but if you look at all of this stuff it all ties into this grand like you, the the phrase you keep using the meta narrative right and I, that never never I even i find that it's so interesting that we was that your experience it was um at least up until fairly recently i i kind of see two factors at play here so one is you know we live in a culture where we consume things in bite-sized pieces. Everything is fragmented. Everything mm-hmm. is segmented. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly was raised, too, to see it as, you know, connected but distinct stories. And so I think part of it is seeing the cohesive, unified, grand narrative of the entire Bible. But I think the the other side of it is that 
too often we've been trained to insert ourselves into the Bible or see the Bible as about us mm. and mm. to have a very individualistic, personal connection to it. And I'm not saying that's bad because absolutely the Bible is for us and we should be looking to see in these stories how God expresses his character to his people. But uh, a, my friend and former pastor, uh, Dr. Jason Kennedy, I remember he would preach about how too often we look at a story like David and Goliath and we think, well, I'm David in this story. Um, this is a story about how I can defeat giants through God's power. Mm. And his point was that, no, Christ is David in this story. All these stories that we think are about us, they can be in that they reflect God's character toward his people, but they are types and shadows of Christ. So uh, mm. David and Goliath, that's a type and shadow of Christ defeating the final enemy of death. Jonah in the belly of the whale, that's a type and shadow of Christ mm. going into the grave and re- rising after three days. Daniel going into the lion's den is a type and shadow of Christ going into the tomb where everyone thinks he is dead and then resurfacing. Mm. Moses in the basket as a baby, sent as a baby to as a stranger to a the land of his enemy, is a type and shadow of Christ arriving as a baby in the land of his enemy to rescue his people. So again and again and again, throughout the Bible, start to finish, Mm. we have these stories that we think are about us and we insert ourselves into or we grab one verse and pull it out of context and slap it on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker and we think that we understand the gospel or we understand the story of the Bible when it's so much bigger and not only is it unified, but it's all about Jesus page to page, cover to cover, start to finish, alpha to omega, it is about Christ. And until mm. we recognize that and see that, we're going to miss the key ingredient of understanding the kingdom. I have, I'm coming to grips with, we're, we're, we're in a post-enlightenment generation, right? We're in the age of rationality. Uh, we tend to separate the natural and the supernatural. Previous generations didn't do that. We separate values from facts. You know, other generations have not done that. We prioritize things we see over things we can't see. That's not the way that much of world history has functioned. I mean, we're the idea set into which we're born is a highly rational, highly intellectual, uh, highly science-oriented view that I think is very helpful but can cause us to miss that meta narrative. So it makes me a little bit worried that we're looking at the biblical narrative as if the grand events haven't already happened. Meaning we tend to, and it makes me concerned that we're minimizing the cosmic turning point of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. My question is that when you mentioned in the podcast about passing away, you did the whole thing about, you know, what, what that means to pass away. I think it goes along with this. Most people think when they hear that, that it means to die and and to be gone and ended. Right. And you made the argument that that's not what he was intending. And that was not the original thought behind that phrase. Correct. I'm, I'm putting it out there as another way to think through the idea of passing away. Right. Right. And so most people think that it would, it means obliterated, right? Like if the old world's going to pass away, like what you're saying, like we're waiting for this moment to when it, everything just goes so horribly bad that 
it's now going to be new, right? So my question with that is why, if we think that, if we think that it has to be so bad that it's completely obliterated and gone, why would God destroy his creation only to make it again? Well, that, so we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because we're about to launch into the four perspectives of the end times. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't tackle the four views and discuss them if I didn't think it was absolutely essential to understanding the kingdom, which I view as essential to our discipleship. Mm-hmm. So there are four primary views that we're going to basically explore one by one, and we're going to talk through the underlying ideas of each of those systems and talk about some of their pros and some of their, their cons. There are two or three of those perspectives which would agree with you in that God's design is not to destroy the good thing he created. Otherwise, that would be failure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. If, and... if the good earth that God has created ended up being obliterated or utterly destroyed in some way, that suggests that either A, it isn't good, or B, uh, his plan to redeem it basically has to basically has to have a do-over, which would which might suggest that God has failed. Right, and doesn't it suggest that we've messed it up so bad that he can't fix it? Yeah. So then it kind of it kind of goes along with this whole. For me, it it kind of reflects the idea of the reason why Jesus came was to save us. And it's a more of a redemptive kind of one person sort of thing. And it's very individualistic right. and it's very limited. Right. So the fact that he would, we've messed the earth up so incredibly bad that he's got to just, well, I've got to, I've got to just start over. I've got to do a do over. Yeah. And that again gives, it gives us way too much power and it get, and it takes away, I think his sovereignty and his, his omnipotence that, well, wait a minute. Yeah. We've done things that are bad, but it's not beyond his repair. Yeah. And I think, look, we, we, that is a, that is an argument of a few of the perspectives and we're going to look at it. We want to fully understand the assumptions of all four end times perspectives Mm -hmm. uh, because there's some nuances there that we need to be really cognizant of, but there are two or three of the perspectives, which would say to assume uh, an obliteration or, you know, massive worldwide famine or whatever, however you want to mm-hmm. to frame that, may not uh, be what the biblical authors intended. That's very controversial. There's going to be a lot of people that are not not in line with that, and that's why we, need to, we at least need to present the four perspectives and the underlying assumptions so that, A, people are aware that there are four perspectives mm-hmm. that have underlying assumptions, and then you know, they need to make their own decisions in terms of how they're going to go. My frustration in that is that there's so much mudslinging between the four that, you know, the conversation gets cloudy. So we're going to try to avoid Mm -hmm. that, and we're going to try to present uh, in a logical, reasonable way those four perspectives, and then folks can go into their greenhouses and debate them all they want. And it can be hard because, as we've been talking about just today, some of these ideas might be ones that we've carried since we were babies, since we Mm -hmm. were children. Mm -hmm. They were taught to us by people perhaps that we loved and respected in Sunday school or from church or our families, our parents, our grandparents. And so it's very easy to take these ideas and view them as almost a part of our identity. Well, yeah. So if you think of yourself as being a Christian on this kind of journey with this kind of endpoint, then when someone suggests that both your endpoint and the 
purpose or mission of your journey maybe should or could be something different, that can be both very disconcerting Mm -hmm. um, and even very disheartening for you to think, well, does that mean that I've not wasted, but I have I been focused on the wrong things? Have I been looking in the wrong direction? Mm-hmm. And so the goal is not to, as, as you both said, to prove that one person is right, but to engage thoughtfully with these things because, you know, shouldn't we want to have the best possible understanding of our journey mm-hmm. and hopefully of our endpoint, mm-hmm. or at least to know that it's complex and mysterious and we may not fully know until we get to ask Christ face to face, but at least to wrestle with it and to approach these ideas with humility and hopefully open minds and open hearts, people that we trust, and get at as close to the truth or our understanding of it with God's help and the Holy Spirit as we possibly can. All right. Hey, great discussion, guys. Uh, Thanks again for modeling what we're hoping is happening all over the country. In fact, all over the world uh, Mm -hmm. when we present these ideas. Hey, look, to our wonderful audience, A, thanks for listening. Hmm. And B, we are purposefully tackling discipleships from from some perspectives that are probably new. Mm -hmm. Uh, We might say they're old, but we're, we're recovering them. And looking at these this transformation of ideas in our hearts from some from different from some different perspectives. So, thanks for coming along with us in the Kingdom discussion. We are entering into a series of episodes. We are going to flush out uh, some things regarding end times perspectives. We do that with great humility, mm-hmm. and in my case, fear and trepidation, because uh, <laughs> it's been argued and banded around for centuries. Uh, but I think we need to. We at least yeah. need to put it out there and provide a forum for discussion and, and uh, debate for the purpose of understanding the kingdom, for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus and understanding his mission. That's right. Mm -hmm. So that's the heart behind it. Yep. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you rate the podcast. You can go onto your favorite podcast platform and give us a wonderful rating. Your comments and stars mean the world to us because Mm -hmm. that's how other people find us. And of course, if you're interested in joining or forming a greenhouse, reach out to us and we would love to provide you some more information on that. Hey, thanks so much and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Do you want to say goodbye? I thought you were going to say goodbye. Are you going to say goodbye or not? You always say goodbye. You're like the emotional one. Why don't you say goodbye? I have never said that. I have never said goodbye. After you tag it, I never say anything. Do you want to say goodbye? Goodbye. I ruined it. You didn't ruin anything. I love it. That was lame.